Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. So, Eric, I'm the editor of Business Week. As you know, every year we do this thing that we call the Jealousy List. The Jealousy List is an exercise in humility. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah, no, I've seen them. You've done them for a few years, right? Multiple years, yeah. yeah. And so the exercise is one that we invite not only the staff of Business Week, but a bunch of our contributors throughout the Bloomberg News universe to say, if there was one story that someone other than you and and Bloomberg did this year, what was it? What are you most jealous of in the pantheon of journalism? We get a ton of positive feedback about it every year. And it makes for a great end of your reading list that I encourage everyone to check out over the holidays at Bloomberg.com. And this year was, you know, everyone was doing good stuff during the pandemic. So it was a, a, a special treat to be able to look across everybody in journalism and say, here's some things that stood out to us. And we figured we would take that same exercise to Trillions this episode and talk to some of our main ETF contributors and figure out what they were jealous of. Yeah. And just curious, did you have one that you were jealous of? Yeah, of course. Um, what was yours? And it was by New York Magazine. And uh, the story was the world's best bureaucrat. Do you know who that is? Oh, yeah. Well, you told me Jerome Powell, which is a gets a good Jerome one. Powell. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a it was a great story that they did. I was super jealous of it because, look, like we talk about Jerome Powell a lot and we talk about the fed a lot but sure. the way that they framed that i just thought it was i read the article it wasn't like i even learned that much from it but they just put it all together in this great narrative. what was the main framing because you know jerome cal gets a lot of ink most people understand he has big influence on the markets what was the framing here and who wrote it so so Josh Barrow, who you probably know he's now at business insider but he was a, a columnist oh, yeah. for for new york magazine and, and I, again, I just thought that it was like the framing of thinking of Powell as a bureaucrat, which the trickle down effect and why I would still want to talk about it on trillions is that, you know, he was Superman this year. Right. And the, the sun that <laughs> radiated from the Fed basically kept the markets and the economy going. Right. And and so the fact that we could talk about that, but do it through sort of a more of a novel framing, I thought, was, was fam- fabulous that, to reach that, that wider audience that they can reach. Yeah, that's really great. And yeah, Josh is real good at um, he's in the he's in the wider w- world of news, but he knows the markets really well. And I, I, totally. I can see why you'd pick that. But also, can I just go a little crazy with the Superman metaphor here? I literally had the thought that you remember at the end of Superman one when he flies around the earth like, you know, so fast that he rewinds time. I swear, as like the Fed kind of pulled a Superman one because they made that huge fall in March come kind of right back, and they they really rewound time a little bit. It was really uh, uh, unbelievable. I think Superman is a pretty apt metaphor. 
So joining us on this episode, we have Jakob Petersil, who's the an editor on the cross-asset team in London, first time on Trillions, Claire Ballantyne, who's a cross-asset reporter, and Katie Greifel, the markets and ETF reporter. And we'll also get Eric's jealousy pick, too. This time on Trillions, Jealousy List. All right, Jakob, Claire, Katie, great to have you on Trillions again. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Eric, I gave you mine. What was the jealousy list item that you would put on your list this year? Well, there's a lot. You know, I, the, I'm in research, so I'm going to kind of look to other analysts as opposed to reporters. But um, the, the people I tend to get jealous of are Dave Nadig, uh, Ben Johnson at Morningstar, Todd Rosenbluth. They always write, you know, a couple things a year that I am really impressed by. But Dave Nadig in particular had two articles this year, one during the fixed income bond ETF sell-off that really nobody goes as deep into trading as him. And I thought that was good. But the one that recently came out that I wish I wrote and I was thinking of writing and I'm probably going to quote in this book I'm working on is an article called How Big is Too Big? And it's an ETF Trends. And essentially, there's been this steady drumbeat of like worrying that the uh, ETF issuer, the passive issuers are getting too big. Vanguard and BlackRock in particular, they own 8% each of uh, the average stock. That's a lot. It's the most uh, ever. And this institutionalization of holdings where you have maybe, I don't know, two dozen firms that have really a huge amount of power over corporate America. And it's an interesting issue and it's legit, but a lot of the academics... They just sort of worry about it without really providing any any major evidence. Uh, for example, like uh, airline tickets would go up I- incredibly because there'd be no motive uh, for the uh, owners of the stocks to... The motive would be for them to make more money so they'd increase airline tickets. But there's a lot of counterpoints. And then they really never pr- provide any solutions for this. Uh, in these in these papers, they really... you know What, what do you want to break up? Uh, the index funds, ban index funds... Um, the other thing is the index funds obviously do a lot of good. So most people who own them don't really care about this issue. So there's a lot of uh, cross currents in this particular issue. But Dave just broke it down, really made a, a simple way to explain uh, why they are worrying about it, but did kind of ding them for for this you know idea of, here's what he has this quote, with this concentration in ownership, the knee-jerk reaction from pundits and academics alike will be and is already, let's prove this is a problem. And I, I do find that somewhat part of this. But he goes through the concerns, goes through some counterpoints, and then he also goes through uh, what we shouldn't do and what we could do. And I like that. I like that uh, adding of uh, solutions in there. So it was just a really good, well-rounded article. I highly recommend reading it, uh, especially if you get a little alarmed by some article that has the headline of like, is Vanguard too big or is... Uh, passive going to raise your airline tickets. Um, just read this piece and it'll give you a more well-rounded picture of the situation. It's pretty nerdy. It is, you. but it's, you know, when it's an ongoing issue and it's one that, um, you know, the academics would argue that it's not that wonky because this could could affect consumers. So anybody who buys goods, flies in airplanes, not this year, but <laughs> regularly, uh, this could affect you. That's what they would say. And a lot of people on the uh, index side would, you know, beg to differ. But that's why it's an issue that has a a lot of depth, in my opinion, because it really strikes at the heart of markets and capitalism. 
Okay, Claire, did Eric just steal your jealousy list item? <laughs> no, um, I had had a different one. I um, it was an article, and it's technically ETNs and not ETFs, but I think it can can qualify. And Claire, what remind us what an ETN is? So ETNs are um, unsecured debt obligations. They sound similar to ETFs, but they're actually pretty different um, in the in the sense that they're similar to bonds. Um, they have a maturity date. One of the things people like about them is that they are leveraged a lot of the times and can deliver big returns, but they can also really amplify losses. Um, and they really came into the spotlight this year during all the volatility in March and then, you know, the surge back to all time highs and just how that market activity really whipsawed these exchange traded notes. That counts. We'll go with it. So, um, but it was one that uh, Akane Otani and Sebastian Pelajero did for the Wall Street Journal. Um, it came out at the beginning of June, um, and its title is Bankrupt in Just Two Weeks, Individual Investors Get Burned by Collapse of Complex Securities. And it was all about more retail, smaller investors that put all their money into um, ETNs. Um, some of them were talking about their retirement savings going in there, trying to um, get returns on those and sort of lured in by that um, possibility of having really outsized gains from these leveraged ETNs and how um, some of them just got completely wiped out during the volatility in March. And what I really liked about it was that it, it talked to these individual investors, which isn't something that's easy to do, to find people willing to talk about how much money they lost um, and also to be able to sort of tell their stories, which is something that I wish we did more in our articles and one of the goals of mine moving into 2021. But I thought they did, did a great job of just really laying out um, kind of why these investors would go into the products, uh, some of them trying to boost their retirement savings, um, just their idea that bond yields are so low, um, and just sort of searching for products. And there's been such a discussion over whether there's enough regulation around these ETNs and enough disclaimers to sort of prevent retail investors from going into them. Um, and there's a lot of back and forth on that debate, but it's sort of hard to read this article and not think, wow, something is sort of messed up in the sense that these people can lose so much money from these products. Uh, Claire, that's a good one. I think uh, ETNs are kind of like the wild cousin of the ETF. They arguably shouldn't even be under the same umbrella. They just, they are though. But uh, yeah, a lot of them closed. This was a year where a lot of exotics closed. So a, a lot of this worry probably took care of itself with all those closures like TVIX, UWT. In, in our rating system, we call these the <laughs> the NC17 products. Uh, they're worse than rated R. Um, but the ETF um, uh, tent is so big and picking a product that you don't understand is is definitely a possibility and something that is you know should be uh, looked at and uh, you know talked about more. But or Jakob, you want to talk about Europe and how insane it is over there? Um, what in terms of ETNs? Yeah, they let anything go there. Yeah, there's a as a company called Leverage Shares um, out here that does um, basically their whole product is just. It's an ETF that gives you leveraged exposure to a single stock. So you can buy this ETF as a way of like getting like, I mean, I don't think it goes up to like seven times or anything, but they definitely have like triple leveraged Tesla exposure. And it's an ETF and you just buy it on an exchange. It's it's bizarre. Um, 
And of course, Eric, you know from the past, we also have like seven times, you know, negative DAX index ETNs that are, you know, issued by SockGen and banks like that. Those are always fun. Joel, they know how to party in Europe. That's the bottom <laughs> I mean, line. You could I mean, you imagine if all that stuff was on Robinhood? My God, the 3x Tesla on Robinhood is quite is something to think about. Yeah, yeah, there's a bit more freedom out here in Europe, you know. It's like, you know, we have nude beaches, we have like underage drinking and three <laughs> X um, Tesla. You know, yeah. It, yeah. It goes like, right it goes fits right in. Hash <laughs> bars. It's very oh, that's coming to America. Invesco QQQ is a proud sponsor of this podcast. Want to rethink what's possible? How about being an investor, not just in your future, but the future? Well it all starts with Invesco QQQ. For more than 25 years, this single ETF has given investors a direct line to the NASDAQ 100. That's 100 leading innovators behind advances in personal tech, science, and robotics, just to name a few. And you can access it all with Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Jakob, we, we heard from Claire now, Wall Street Journal gave her pains. What gave you pains? What are you jealous of? Okay, so if you know me, you know I, I dabble in volatility a lot too. And, and and this story is kind of, it's mostly about volatility, but it's tangentially related to, to the ETP space because as we know, back in 2018, a lot of um, ETF and ETN investors got burned trading volatility. Um, a similar thing happened this year, um, but in a sort of, positive twist. It was less um, retail investors that got burned than the institutions um, this year. So that was kind of a, a, a heartwarming sort of development. Um, so my article that I'm jealous of this year is called How to Lose a Billion Dollars Without Really Trying, um, which is an awesome title. And it was written by Leanna Orr for Institutional Investor Magazine. Um, and basically, it's a, it's a long feature and a sort of postmortem um, that makes the argument that trading volatility was actually the the W or like the sub toxic subprime mortgage of the Corona crash. Everyone knows what happened, right? In March, VIX spiked to a record, um, and a lot of people were short volatility. A lot of sophisticated hedge funds, a lot of pension funds that invest, you know, our grandparents' money for them, um, and so pretty much everyone was like uniformly burnt on this. Ironically, who came out sort of not so badly is the retail investor, um, because. If you guys remember, post-2018, there was a lot of sort of reform in the volatility ETP space, um, and these things became kind of a lot less nuclear and a lot less uh, popular. So there wasn't as much retail speculation on volatility this time around. Um, and, And in fact, a lot of the banks that did things like issue these crazy structured notes that were sort of leverage bets on volatility, they ended up getting burned a lot more than the, the retail in- investors who actually bought these things. So it was a kind of a bit of poetic justice. Yeah, I, I really loved this story. It was really nicely done with a lot of color. So that, that's mine. Leanna is awesome. She just writes these deep dives that I wish I had the time or brain to do. Um, I hope she's listening because I think she's great. And by the way, Jakob, you bring up a good point with... <clears throat> Every two or three years, they get a teachable moment in ETFs, I think. 
And XIV was that one like three years ago. And it kind of did correct itself. They neutered all the leveraged ones. People worried about TVIX. Now that did get up to about, I think it was 7 billion in March because it was just, I think it returned 2000% in like three months or two months or something. But then that's also gone now. And so the real VIXy, you know, uh, um, leveraged kind of potential problem childs or children are pretty much gone at this point. Although I think there's two, there's a couple in the hopper. But what was a problem and one of, I thought Katie did a great job covering this one was USO. That was the teachable moment this year. Um, Katie, you want to talk about USO real quick and what happened there? Uh, I'm still a little scarred. I would say it definitely was a teachable moment, but Basically, USO invested in the front month oil contract, which, as we know, in April went negative, negative 37 per barrel, which is just hard to wrap your mind around. So USO was scrambling to reshift its holdings, which contracts it uh, it invested in, and it, it did that. Um, but I believe it's now still under investigation by the SEC, Eric, maybe jump in here because I might get it wrong, over whether it properly disclosed to its investors what it was doing with its holdings and how it was shifting them around. Yeah, I believe that's still a uh, open investigation. That might be a rough word for it, but I'm not sure they're going to be liable because if you read the prospectus, they talk about this being possible. Um, but it was it was just oil Uh Nobody thought that futures could go negative. And the idea was, you know, do we let futures go negative and then we'll have to owe people money <laughs> like the people or do we completely neuter the exposure and water it down? And they chose the safe route. And so the ultimately the problem with it then was that people who, who wanted it for the hardcore front month exposure didn't get it. They weren't getting that oil rebound like they wanted to. So the whole thing was a big mess. USO ties into the retail story because it was a very popular stock on, not a stock, an ETF on Robinhood when you could still track their day-to-day holdings. People just kept piling into USO even as all this turmoil was unfolding because I guess retail investors were like, this invests in oil. I want to bet on a bottom in oil. Here we go. And Joel, you, you know what's interesting about oil? It's That's one of the things I'll get texts about from old college friends and stuff when they see oil go down that much that it makes like the CBS nightly news with Lester Holt or whatever, they want in. They feel like they're Warren Buffett. They're like, I'm, I'm buying at the bottom. And USO is kind of the only way to get that exposure. And again, a teachable moment. I doubt we're going to see that kind of frenzy next time. It's, it sounds like something your dad would call you about. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does. Yeah. That, I don't know if that has enough for him, though. He, he likes even. Yeah, that's. It's probably too tame it, for him. It's yeah, it's too tame. He needs it he, b- extra spicy. By the way, he keeps telling me about TVIX and how low it's gotten in his account because it keeps reverse splitting, and uh, we have a lot of fun on that. Yeah, I'm like, hey, but it, it's up. I said TVIX went up like two thousand percent, and he basically looked at it at the the percentage he went up was maybe like one percent because that's how much he had lost over the five years he's held it. Anyway, the whole thing was <laughs> was funny. There's an episode where we interview my dad about his experience with TVIX. And it's a classic case of you know what Claire was talking about, how you have real people who buy this stuff. He bought it because he thought Hillary was going to win and the market would just plunge. And he said, what will go up the most if the market plunges? And I said, well, TVIX, but you got to sell it whether it works or not in a week. And he just didn't sell it. <laughs> it's just- a long-term investor in TVIX. <laughs> oh, okay, Katie, uh, USO, was that... Was that your jealousy pick or did you have something else? 
I think we did a pretty good job covering USO. So I'm actually, my jealousy pick is pretty recent. It's from earlier this month. It's also from the Wall Street Journal. So Claire, we have our targets in 2021, but it's by Chana Schoenberger and it's on a study that it's really fascinating. I wanted to write about it. I just didn't get time. It was released in October and it's about target date funds, which are, it's a $1.4 trillion industry. It's extremely important. And uh, it's it's exactly what it sounds like. You know, investors invest, pick a, a target date fund with a specific date for their retirement savings, and it glides them towards that date and gradually shifts them into bonds. Like, uh, like the, cruise control. Yes, exactly. You can just set it and forget it. You're on autopilot. But this study was from David Brown, a professor at the University of Arizona, and Sean Davies, a professor at the University of Colorado at Boulder, and they found basically that target date fund sponsors, because target date funds are funds of funds, they charge basically two fees. And because of those fees, they charge nearly 2.5 billion in excess fees in 2017 alone versus what you could save by just replicating those portfolios with an ETF. So it just goes to show that the retire the American retirement system could be improved if perhaps of ETFs were allowed in 401ks, uh, but just an incredibly important study and story. And she did a great job, added additional reporting where she talked to some of the biggest target date fund sponsors, Vanguard, Fidelity, and basically got them to defend their fees. So great article. Wish I had written it, but she beat me to the punch. Yeah, I think that's a, um, a really good example as well of something that I wish we could have covered. Um, we definitely have our, our target set out for 2021 about who <laughs> we have to beat. But I think it's a, a tremendously, like you said, it's um, 1.4 trillion. So it's tremendously important for us to, to cover that and to be talking about it. And one thing I will add about the study is, um, you know, they estimate from that $2.5 billion in excess fees, investors could save about 1% per year by just replicating with ETFs. But that does kind of ignore the set it and forget it mentality. You know, investors probably don't want to be working to recreate these portfolios all the time. But I mean, it's still hugely important. If you're saving for retirement, that 1% matters a lot. And I'll also say that um, it seems to me that there's uh, the ETFs have become so popular, they trade, there's so much innovation that most of the media has really covered them to the point where 10 years ago, I, there was hardly any coverage. Now it's very much matured into full coverage. But I feel like they've left the mutual fund world too much. There's not enough eyeballs and lights being shined. And what is still $10 trillion? There's a lot of things going on there. And that's interesting to me, um, given that mutual funds still have double uh, if you count money market funds more than double what ETFs have, uh, yet they are, you know, get maybe, I don't know, a third of the coverage. And so it's good to see some of that, especially the 401k plans that, you know why? Because that stuff isn't going to get a lot of clicks. I'm sorry. It's just target date fund, this, that, or the, it's just not going to light it up, but it's good stuff. I'll comfort myself with that. I, I also find that weird, Eric, because particularly around March when we were all talking about like the LQD sort of dislocation, a lot of that stuff was happening in mutual funds much worse than it was in ETFs. And there was really no one around to cover it except for like you guys at BI. So I, I'm struck by that as well. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. 
people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Okay, wait, Eric, you're going to put on your Santa Claus costume because Claire, Jakob, Katie, he's got a gift for you. I do. I, what, I, what, what is it, Eric? So I went through all of your articles and picked one of each. I get, I get updates of everything you write, so you do great work. And I went back and looked through all of your articles to pick out one of each of yours that I was jealous of and just feel like really nailed it. And so I guess I'll start with Claire. Um, Claire's coverage of Kathy Wood has been monumental. To me, that's probably the story of the year. Again, you know, 17 billion of assets in ARC isn't that much percentage-wise, but she's just bucked so many odds that you you just can't not cover this story. And the one that I really liked was Kathy Wood's fund bought more Tesla after shares got, quote, slapped. And she has, see, you guys can quote the people, and that's why I think you add a lot of value. You can also do stuff quicker than we can in research. So you had you were right on this article. Kathy shares her holdings every day, and she bought more when Tesla went down in September. And the quote you have here is, I was happy it got slapped. We wait for those sorts of delays where there is outright fear. If we think the stock has dropped enough, we'll move in, and we did. Tesla has gone up 56% since then. And it really just, I don't know, adds to the whole mystique of Kathy Wood just being like probably the zeitgeisty active manager of this era. And I think you've had, you know, half a dozen articles in her that really hit the spot, that one in particular. Um, thank you. It's been really fun to cover her and to see what she's doing. And I, I think especially, you know, with journalism in general, it's all about the people sort of behind the market moves and these things like that. But especially when it's an active manager who's actively making these decisions to go into Tesla um, or things of that nature. And so that's why I've really enjoyed being able to interview Kathy and sort of figure out and write about what she's thinking behind some of these moves. Um, and okay, Jakob, speaking of ARC, <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with this. Jakob had an article, I tweeted this out, and rarely my tweets go, quote, viral. Viral for me is like maybe 50 retweets. <laughs> for other people, it's probably over a thousand. But um, most of our stuff is too wonky to get much love. But Jakob, I tweeted out your JP Morgan article, and people loved it. And basically... I, I don't even know how you found this. I'd like to know. But the article is basically, the title is, JP Morgan offers you only live once, or YOLO, trade to bet on ARK ETFs, where they basically, you know, these Wall Street banks design these structured products for their high net worth clients or institutions. And in this case, they made a structured product tied to ETFs from ARK um, that basically packaged three of the ETFs, leverage 1.5 times over six years. Um it makes sense to me that they would do this. I think we actually had direction on ETF IQ once, and I jokingly said, when's the 3X ARC ETF coming out? <laughs> because normally when an ETF breaks through like that and gets a couple billion, you see a leveraged version of it. 
And so they kind of joked and didn't say anything, but I'm not surprised that this is happening, but it really struck a nerve with people. And I'm just curious how you found the article and maybe if you want to explain how the product works. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, these things, this was a publicly, you know, SEC registered note. So I have a little search that I have every once in a while. I I take a little spin through the the, the latest freaky, you know, Wall Street inventions. And um, I, yeah, I spotted ARC. I'd never seen anything like this. One, because it was linked to three ARC ETFs and they're, they're certainly having like their zeitgeist moment. Um, but I also noticed it was crazy. Like it's a six year note leveraged one and a half times. Like, like Eric, you were talking about not holding these leveraged, you know, VIX ETPs for longer than a week. Like, can you imagine holding something for six years that's leveraged one and a half times? I mean, it's just wild. I mean, I, I fell in love as soon as I saw it. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we did this story. And interestingly, um, a guy actually wrote in afterwards and I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this story. So I, I might as well kind of give him a shout out on this. A financial advisor from Princeton, New Jersey, which is not far from where you are, Eric, wrote in and said, hey, I was the one who came up with this structure. I went to BNP Paribas back in October to build me this exact same note. Um, and he was like, I want credit, you know? And, and so Dan over at White Knight Strategic Wealth Advisors actually came up with this structure back in October. Um, and, and yeah, he told me like, this is a sleeve in his, um, in some of his investors' portfolio. Like, they're already exposed to ARC, but he was like, look, why not? Like, it was a kind of a YOLO play. It's like, why not make this into a tiny little sleeve of their portfolio? He's really a big fan of Kathy Wood. And he thinks the fact that it's actively managed, um, means that they're going to just keep on winning. You know that that's his sort of justification. So um, anyway, yeah, it was it was a weird story, but uh, thanks for uh, highlighting it. That's amazing. That is amazing, isn't it? Um, sign of the times. I, I the the uh, the skeptic of that, um, and I, which I think you you had in the the story, as I re- recall, Jakob, was that. It also is like, could you imagine a better indicator for the, the top of the market than, than that product? Yeah, yeah. And, and in fairness, the, the terms, I, I showed it to a couple, you know, structured product geeks and they were like, no, these are not good terms. You know, they're, they're just like, <laughs> you will get screwed on this note eventually, you know, but um, hey, it's, it's, it's a fun ride while it lasts. Uh, OK, so for Katie, look, there's so there's so much to choose from, Katie. It was an embarrassment yeah. of riches. I, I thought he, I thought he was going to say, Katie, it was a really, it was a really bad year, Katie. It was a really bad year. Yeah, you got to pick it up next year. But yeah, uh, so look, uh, th- first of all, um, the the headline of yours I like the best. So I'm, this isn't the article, but just the headline. This I read this and I was like, oh my god, there's so much going on here. It's almost like sometimes your ability to make the headline seem downright Shakespearean is amazing. So here's the headline about USO. Giant fund at heart of oil storm <laughs> loses most cash in four years. I just, I don't know. I just love that. Like the the density of that headline is, and the package drama in there is amazing. So that's just that. That, that was my favorite headline of yours. Now, the story I like the best is this oh, one, which twofer. that was yeah, like I, the stocking stuffer. And now the, yeah, now, that was now the stocking. The this is the big present with the <laughs> special Santa Claus wrapping. Um, okay, Wall Street theories on billions sloshing through Schwab funds. Okay, not the most interesting topic, but the approach here is fascinating. And it's something we can't do in BI, so I'm jealous of this. But I also find that it's smart of you. We don't know who's doing what in ETFs. This is one of the reasons institutions love using them. There's there's no trace. And so every time you see these flows, it's like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. And you, you've got to 
try to solve it. Now, you could just sort of take a shot or, I don't know, uh, go with the best theory, but I love that you print all the theories. So you go down here, you look at the flows, and then you've got, okay, here's what uh, James Pillow at Moores and Cabot says. I'm probably butchering that name. Here's what Nature AC at the ETF store says. Here's what Matt Haley Matt Maley, uh, at Miller says. Here's what Athanasios, that's from BI. Uh, well, here's what he says, and here's what Todd says. So, you know, the reader can kind of read all these. And to me, this is just, th this shines a light on the whole concept of, of flows and ETFs and how you never really ever know unless the person who did it steps forward and they never do. And this happened recently with Claire's VU article. They saw $8 billion out and we, you know, you guys both were trying to put that together. Can you talk a little bit about just trying to solve these mysteries when it comes to flows? Yeah, well, credit where credit's due. I wrote that Schwab story with Claire and uh, I wrote that VU article with Claire. And I mean, I want to give a shout out to our editors who are, I really appreciate that they let us have that flexibility because there's sometimes when Claire and I are just chasing our tails and we do end up with like five different theories for what could be behind a huge movement. And it's impossible to know unless we hear it from the horse's mouth. And a lot of the times we don't even know who the horse is. So I, I just love that format for when you do see just, you know, a huge outflow that everyone's talking about. There's not one unifying theory that we're able to just break it out and be like, you're the best guesses, choose your own adventure. And, uh, most of the times, I mean, we get a lot of engagement from those articles, which I also really appreciate. And uh, you can get a pretty good sense of what's going on. Yeah, I think that adds a value to our readers, too, to be able to look at and say, hey, these are some of the theories behind it. Um, and that gives them sort of more insight into our thinking, too, instead of us just sort of pretending like we know what's going on. Because a lot of times we just, it's impossible to actually know. So. And that wasn't, this is a new thing. This didn't happen. This is a, so that's why I wanted to point it out. I think it's a great evolution of the articles rather than just as you said, I think it's good. Just put all the theories out there. That That's the truth. The truth is you don't know. And, but here's the theories and the audience can be the judge. All right. Congratulations to our 2020 jealousy list honorees. Eric, thank you for playing Santa Claus. You did a very good job. Ho, and ho, ho. Special thanks. So ho, ho, ho. special <laughs> that, thanks. That was to... lame. That was a lame ho, yeah. ho, ho. <laughs> By the way, Joel, and... just I went to the mall on Friday morning. Every year I go to the mall on a weekday morning to beat the system and do Christmas shopping when there's nobody there. And I saw the Santa and it is behind these plexiglass and they put the kids in front of the glass so that maybe you don't see the glass in the photo. It was so sad. We we, we did an amazing story and, and uh, quick take uh, collab um, about Santas and snow globes. That was like a, a mall trend. They have like a, a snow globe set up. So the story for kids is that Santa got trapped in the snow globe. Uh, and special thanks to Claire, Jacob, and Katie for, for joining us on Trillions and, and, and sharing something I know that hurts, which is what you were jealous of. Happy holidays to all of you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. You can find Katie at K Greifeld, Claire at CFB underscore 18, and Jakob at Y Petersiel. 
This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. How does Invesco QQQ rethink possibility? By rethinking access to innovation and the NASDAQ 100. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.